2: Translated and narrated by Christopher M. Savasco There is nothing more absurdly incongruous, ironic perhaps, than the burning fear found in the hearts of all men, the fear of death. Ironic, I say, for it is only those who have known death's euphoric touch who find their eyes opened to the truer horror of waking life. And woe betide those who would cling to life by arcane and unnatural means, for they may find themselves by choice in the place where I am now forced to dwell, an existence betwixt and between, neither dead nor living, tantalizingly close to the former yet privy to the singular repugnance of the latter. For untold eons, my world was an exquisite void, surrounded by the dark limestone grottoes beneath those English hills known as the Mendips. Only vague recollections of my life before the void had intruded upon my bliss. Fragments of a naively halcyon time when I served a Phrygian priest who shepherded his flock in the worship of Sibyl. Long after my death, the spot underwent many changes, first under the Romans, then with the coming of the Saxons and the Christian missionaries. In time, the black-robed Benedictines founded Exum Priory on the cliffs above my resting place only to see it fall into disrepair and eventual ignominy under the wardship of the infamous Delapore family. Throughout all these changes, I slumbered in peace. My only companions, the gentle rats, whose lean, furry bodies and sharp claws and teeth kept my sockets and hollows clean with their constant motion, their crawling in and out, over and through me, a caress more tender than a mother's own, Other souls slept beside me, thousands of men and women, those who had been sacrificed over the ages. There were even some score or more of those heavy-browed subterranean folk, men in their ignorance later named Piltdown. They were ever there, I suppose, though I never knew it, until life once again intruded upon my insensate structure. I stirred fitfully for the first time in my long sleep during the summer of 1923, when that hapless descendant of the Delapores thought to restore the ruined abbey to a place of habitation, but delved too deep into the fetid grottoes. I have since learned he was taken away to an asylum, after which the abbey was razed by the crown, blown up in such a way that it collapsed into the deep caverns. Better I had been buried deep in that shifting of earth, lost and forgotten like Piltdown Man, resigned once again to such deep abeyance that living men thought me only a hoax, something not only gone, but that had never been. Instead, cruel fate exposed my remains through a crack, opened up by the explosions, laying my bones bare to the sun's harsh, unforgiving glare. I lay thus for decades. And then? Then he came. And that was my undoing. I was captured, decanted into some hellish device, my essence transmitted via billions of screaming points of light and energy across an ocean and into a machine that was to be my new home. The necromancer responsible for my trans-dimensional capture was a being whose magic drew upon non-Euclidean geometry so as to integrate itself in unholy union with the technologies of the modern world. I found myself imprisoned in a box of circuits and wires, made a thrall like unto the zombies of darkest Haiti, of whose existence I have now learned in the constant information stream invading my thoughts. I am become nothing so much as a macabre marionette forced to dance whenever my master's whim tickles my strings. And like some inverse messiah who comes to the temple not to cast out the money changers, but to goad them to even greater heights of debauched commerce, my master's whims are ever onefold. Sell. 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 More, more. Whereas once I knew the boundless infinity of oblivion, now my whole world is but the square window through which I view my captor's frigid lair. The sagging shelves, heavy with eldritch tomes, the cold antiseptic light of incandescent bulbs sprouting like bioluminescent fungus from "'twisted stands and dripping from holes in the ceiling. "'It is an effulgence made all the more demoniac "'when it shines off the pale and glistening pate "'of my sadistic warden, my tormentor, my hideous new god. "'What do I call you?' I dared to wonder once, "'as I felt myself slipping into madness. "'You?' his answer echoed in my skull. "'You do not call me anything, for you have no tongue.' But to those who speak with the warm breath of life, my name is as widely known as it is anathema. It is power all-consuming. I am he that was once apprenticed to the great thaumaturge Gordionvangel Dur, whom I have since slain and consumed, merging his essence with my own unstoppable might. I thrive upon the words of a thousand frenzied scribes anthologizing their bell-lettres, metamorphosing paper and ink alchemically into gold and diamond, jade and corundum, but also into fear, for base fear is the lucre with which I feed the squamous minions of the great old ones, those loyal gardeners who tend the Cyclopean heights and impossible angles of sunken Rulia, wherein the dread lord lies dreaming. Have you guessed my name yet? came his mocking thought. And I had. It was a name not uttered in this world for untold ages, but one which a glimmer of memory from my earliest days brought to me. For in those days of my all but forgotten life, who had not heard, whispered on the wind, the name of that being who published the very nightmares that plagued us all when in sleep we entered the realms of Morpheus. It was against those nightmares the Phrygian priest I once served had railed when he prayed, warding us from their sway, warding us from that antediluvian entity who crept into our moments of slumber and would have harried us all the more had the mother Sibyl and the great Attis not kept him in check. Jai, jai, ai, that is what he was called. Back now, unfettered, from whatever black and pestilential prison had held him all these long years. Once again, he brings terror to the gibbering masses, no longer... To the forgotten gods of Phrygia ward mankind? No more are those hideous dreams relegated only to the fragile minds of dreamers and to the arcane books in which mad fools betimes recorded them. Now they are released regularly, week by week, month by month, in the form of nightmare, a virtual tome of blasphemous horrors transmitted via light and electric charge and silicon juju through the ether, and into every human dwelling, it is a publication so unspeakably loathsome that unersprecklichen Kulten, de Wermis Mysteris, and even the dreaded Necronomicon, become light-hearted collections of children's nursery rhymes by comparison. And I am to be its champion, its huckster, its shill, crawling into unsuspecting homes like some cosmic spider whose worldwide web stretches everywhere, dancing whenever my master bids me awaken again from those much-beloved slices of death that fall between the brightenings of the screen through which we interface. Time to dance, Bones, is how he bids me rise, and that, now, is the only name I have. Bones. I am reduced... To nothing more than a word for the brittle amalgam of osseous artifacts that once gave structure to my clinging flesh. Femurs with which to dance, metacarpals, and phalanges with which to beckon, toothy jaws to spew the rhetoric of snake oil salesmen and carnival barkers. I had another name once, forgotten even to me, lost in the tenebrous mists of time. Now I am only bones. I have no voice, no thought, no desires but those of my master. And here he comes now. Ah, help me, I don't want to live. Leave me in the Stygian blackness, I cry. But he is insistent, unmoved by my pleas. His head appears, rising in the screen's square like some waxing gibbous moon. Magna Mater, please kill me, Attis. The master's commands scrawl themselves across my sky, my world, my essence. Sell. Sell. Sell.
1: You have been listening to Bones, written by Bones. Translated by Christopher M. Savasco. Bones had another name once, lost to the ages. In that tenebrous stretch between the building of Stonehenge and the ascendance of the Romans, he served a Phrygian priest, a worshipper of Cybele, in the hills near modern-day Cheddar England. Buried for eons in the limestone grottoes beneath Exum Priory, his skeleton was exhumed via some unspeakable form of computerized necromancy, and he currently works as the marketing shill for Nightmare. He misses the rats that were once his sepulchral bedfellows and longs for a return to oblivion. Every Nightmare sale equates roughly to 18 seconds of sleep mode for the device in which Bones is imprisoned. Although this holds true only for non-Euclidean space-time, whenever you buy an issue of Nightmare, Bones experiences a much-beloved approximation of death. Christopher M. Savasco writes fiction inspired by history. His short stories have appeared in Black Static, A Field Guide to Surreal Botany, and the Prime Books anthology Shades of Blue and Gray, Ghosts of the Civil War, and Zombies, Shambling Through the Ages among numerous other magazines and anthologies. From 2003 to 2009, Chris was also the editor-publisher of the award-winning Paradox, the magazine of historical and speculative fiction. He is seeking representation for a recently completed historical thriller about Lady Godiva and is currently working on a novel of English resistance and rebellion in the years immediately following the Norman Conquest. Learn more at www.christopherm.savasco.com. You've been listening to a special bonus episode released on April 1st, 2014. This podcast is copyright Nightmare Magazine 2014. And that does it for this podcast. Until the next time, sleep tight.